All right? So we do have a Bible study. As I said, we're going to finish Matthew's Gospel this morning. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 27, we're going to finish chapter 27, and then we're going to look at chapter 28. We're going to start reading at verse 62 of chapter 27, as we have seen the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at and studied about the burial of Jesus Christ. And then today, we're going to look at, of course, that very familiar account of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we move in to chapter 28. But at verse 62, let's read it. On the next day, which followed a day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. And therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Father, we do ask this morning that we, we are familiar with this account of the resurrection. And usually it's only sometimes read during resurrection weekend. But Lord, we finish this chapter here. We finish this gospel with the incredible note and account and fact that Jesus Christ is alive. And I pray that our hearts would be stirred once again. It would cause us to go out of this place just as the women leave the tomb and just marveling and at awe and, and Lord, also rejoicing and worshiping. I pray that our ringers would be off our phones and we would be settled in our seats. And Lord, that you would just touch our hearts once again. That, Lord, coming and realizing that we are indeed a blessed people because Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. So we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So he recalls, we finished at verse 61, that it was the witnesses of the burial of Jesus Christ. Of course, it was Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, two prominent council members, the gospel tell us, that took care of the body of Jesus. It was Joseph that went to Pilate, asked it to, uh, for the body of Jesus. They confirmed that he was dead. And then Nicodemus, who was called the master teacher of Israel, there in John chapter 3, that he brings the spices. Joseph of Arimathea, one gospel says, a prominent council member, that he brings the burial uh, cloth, the linen clothes, to wrap Jesus as he is prepared for burial. He would be put into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, as the gospels tell us, that he built a tomb hewn out of the rocks. It was nearby Calvary, we know from the gospel accounts, and it was in a garden. It was the tomb that Matthew records here that was a new tomb. In other words, another gospel tells us it was a tomb that had never been used. So there's no other bodies that were in that tomb. And also, closing the entrance of that tomb is a large stone that they would roll to, to close the entrance of the tomb. And as Nicodemus and Joseph prepared the body of Jesus, that they uh, put him in that tomb. They closed the tomb with the stone. And we know that they had to hurry because it's the Sabbath that is coming. We know that as verse 61, as I mentioned, Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite of the tomb. 
So they're eyewitnesses of the burial of Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind that Paul said, here's the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. And he rose again after three days according to the scriptures. So the fact that the eyewitnesses were there, the account of Jesus' death and burial is there, that's all part of the gospel. Now we know that the religious leaders, they come to Pilate as we just read. They come to Pilate and they said, we remember this deceiver. They're still mocking Jesus. That he said that he will rise again after three days. We don't want that to happen. That deception would be worse than him claiming to be the son of God. So we're asking you, would you please set a guard that is there? And Pilate says, you make the tomb as secure as you can. Now that's very important as we go into chapter 28. So they set a guard, and a guard wasn't just... You know, they had one soldier there or a security guard or something like that. A guard was anywhere from four to, some scholars suggest, up to a dozen soldiers that are there that are guarding that tomb 24-7. And also, they sealed the tomb, as Matthew tells us. And what they did, that stone that closed the entrance of the tomb, they would seal it with a Roman seal. They had two leather straps that went across that stone in the Roman seal that would be in the middle of it. And anyone who dare come by and break that seal and try to get into the tomb to steal the body of Jesus, well, those guards would be there. They would know. And that person would be severely punished because of that. So that's what we're seeing here as Jesus is put into that tomb. And the women there watching as they, he was put into the tomb, they would leave. The stone rolled to close the tomb. And I'm sure that just as darkness had covered the land when Jesus hung on that cross, now with Jesus' body in that tomb, that darkness and despair and sorrow filled the hearts of those women and also of Joseph and Nicodemus. Because we are told that they are now disciples and the disciples that followed after Jesus. And even though those disciples weren't there when Jesus was buried, the disciples would have the same kinds of feelings. They had left everything to follow him. They're full of fear. They had scattered and they had followed him for three and a half years. And now he's dead. He's there, his body in that tomb. So chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath as... The first day of the week began to dawn. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. So the two Marys who watched Jesus being put into the tomb, Nicodemus, you recall that he brought the burial spices to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. We know from Luke chapter 24 that these women, that as they came very early in the morning, they come back to the tomb after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. They came to finish anointing the body of Jesus, which was cut short because of the Sabbath. They also, we are told, that they're wondering who's going to roll away that large stone that we saw that closed the entrance of the tomb. We can't do it. So who's going to do that for us? And as they are approaching the tomb, there's another earthquake. And this angel, we are told from Matthew, descends from heaven, rolled the stone away, and then sat on top of it. The door of the tomb would be wide open. And verse 3 tells us that the countenance of this angel was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. 
He was so awesome in appearance, so much so, verse 4 we read, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So these Roman guards, remember that they are part of the world's most powerful military force. And as they see this angel, they are like dead men. They, they shook with fear. Uh, they, they can't move. And eventually we know that they would end up leaving that tomb and they would run away. And as we consider this, I think about that here is these women coming to the tomb early in the morning. They're wondering, who's going to roll away this, this stone? You know, who's going to roll away so we can get into the tomb? I just wonder if those Roman soldiers came running past them. And they're probably thinking, what is this all about? Remember, the Gospels, all we know is Pilate knows that there's guards there, the religious leaders, but nobody else knew. What are they running for as the earthquake happens? And then they get there, the women, at the tomb. And we read then in verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. So the mighty angel here, as, as we look at this, this countenance like lightning and as we see sitting on top of the stone, says to the women, don't be afraid. Isn't that marvelous? The very first message that came from heaven to any of the followers of Jesus after his death and now his resurrection, the very first message from heaven is this, don't be afraid. And we know that it was the very first message of the angel to those shepherds that we saw just a couple months ago on the hillside in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Don't be afraid. And here, you don't need to be afraid because he is alive. He's risen. And when Jesus, he appears to the women that we're going to see as we continue to read, he says the same thing to them. Don't be afraid. You see, the followers of Jesus, those disciples and these women here, I think they were very much afraid. It was more than just the mighty angel that was there, but fear had gripped their hearts for three days. And the angel said, you don't have to be afraid anymore because he is not here. He is risen, as he said. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? We know that Matthew, that there's at least six times that Jesus would say to his disciples, uh, talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. Over and over again, over the last six months, ever since that Jesus asked the disciples up at Caesarea Philippi, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God, Peter would say in that great confession. And Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the chief priests and elders, be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And of course, Peter, he would say, not so, Lord. He didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the disciples till after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I told them that I'm going to be crucified, but he never spoke of his crucifixion without also speaking of his resurrection. He's not here. He is risen, just like he said. Come and see. Come and see that the Lord's not here. You see, the angel did not move the stone to let Jesus out. He moved the stone to show the world that he was already out. He is risen. 
And that's why we can celebrate not only this morning or on Resurrection Sunday in a couple months, but every day, every morning of our lives, the resurrection of our Lord is the very foundation in which our faith is built upon, that Jesus Christ has died for our sins on the cross of Calvary, and he rose after three days from the grave, and he is alive, and we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to fear death. And in this life, there are so many things that we can be fearful of. We can see the world around us, how it's unraveling, that there's rumors of war and nation against nation. We see what's going on in Eastern Europe. What's going to happen? Is Russia going to invade Ukraine? We hear about how China perhaps is going to have military action against Taiwan. What's happening in the Middle East? The tensions that are growing. There's so much uncertainty. We can become afraid with the economy and what's going on in our own nation and in our own culture and and all the upheaval and challenges that we see, the violence that is in our cities. We hear about it all the time, don't we? We can be fearful for our kids. We can be fearful for our grandkids, for family members, those that we love that are linked to us in our lives. And these women at the tomb on that first day of the week, three days after his death, who were afraid, who were discouraged, and I'm sure feeling hopeless, but told the most wonderful news ever proclaimed in the history of mankind. You don't have to be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. To them, three days, it seemed like everything was hopeless and everything was lost. And then suddenly the news comes, he is risen and he is alive. And for those of us, which I know is is a vast majority of us who have come through the services this morning, who have embraced the truth of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that indeed he is alive, that he conquered death, and he now lives in my heart, and I belong to him because of my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he has delivered me from death to life, and one day I'm going to be resurrected, and my life doesn't have to be gripped with fear. Any longer. Because I have hope. And I know the good news. That Jesus is alive. And as we continue reading verse 7. And go quickly and tell the disciples. That he is risen from the dead. And indeed he's going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. And behold I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb. With fear and great joy. And ran to bring his disciples word. So how is it that we can bring hope and comfort to others who are afraid? And I think all of us, that we know people around us and that are close to us, that they are discouraged, they're afraid, they're wondering. And notice here, as we read, that it is verse 6, come and see. But now in verse 7, it is go and tell. Go and see that the Lord has risen. You have people come to the cross to see that Jesus died for your sins, that he cried out, it is finished, that he made atonement for you. You come and see that the tomb is empty. Come and see that the Lord has risen and has provided salvation for you and hope. He is alive. We believe in a risen Savior. We now have a living hope through his resurrection. And then I get to go and tell. I get to go and tell others. So come and see. 
And as we have come and seen, we get to go and continue to tell others of the good news, the greatest truth, to give hope. And here these women at this tomb, one of the first missionaries, is they would leave that tomb, and they have mixed feelings, as we read here. Notice verse 8, they're fearful. I just think just that awe of what had happened. Remember that when they came to the tomb that morning, they're not expecting to see the resurrected Lord. They're not saying, oh, yeah, the resurrection. Here, they're just at awe what is going on and this mighty angel speaking to them. But also they had great joy and went and told the disciples. And that's what the gospel does. It brings great joy to you and to me. And we should bring that joy to others. I was reading in my own devotions in the book of Acts that when the gospel began to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that the disciples went out giving the gospel. And it says that wherever they went, they brought great joy. And I pray for you and for me that we would bring joy to others as we have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we live the gospels, people see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. And in verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, that Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So these women were on the way to, uh, to report to the disciples, the tomb is empty. The Lord, he's risen. The angel has told us and on their way, they actually meet Jesus they see the resurrected Lord. And Jesus greets them by saying, rejoice. Rejoice because I'm alive. Do you and I rejoice because we have embraced the risen Lord? We can go through the sorrow and the difficulties and the hurts and the confusion. We can go through the difficulties of life. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have sorrow in your heart. Maybe there's hurt in your heart. Maybe there's a hole in your heart because of loss. But underneath it all, we can rejoice because Jesus is alive. Paul the Apostle, when he's writing to the Philippian church, he's writing at a time he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. The beginning of the epistle, he says, I don't know what's going to happen if I'm going to be put to death or I'm going to stay here to be with you guys. But the whole theme of that epistle is joy. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And as we embrace the resurrected Lord, we can have that, that joy in us. This the assurance and the confidence and the peace in our lives. Whatever it is that we're going through, because Jesus is alive. And we have salvation and we belong to him. And it should cause us also to worship just as it did with these women, understanding that truly that he is Lord worthy of our worship. And then in verse 10, Jesus said something, go tell my brethren, that is my disciples, to go to Galilee and there I will meet them. Mark records something very important that Jesus would say to them, go tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure that you tell Peter. Remember the last time we saw Peter? Peter on that night before Jesus was crucified, that it was Peter that, as Jesus said, all of you are going to be made to run away from me this night. Peter said, not me. Mm -mm. These other guys might. 
You know, they got yellow going down their back, but not me. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the night is over, you're going to deny me, not once, but three times. And we saw that as they came to the garden to arrest Jesus, Peter, he was so courageous. He took out a sword and he began to swing it, got the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Jesus said, put that sword away, Peter. Don't you know I'm going to take of the cup of suffering and death that the Father has given me to drink of? And Peter and all the others would flee and they would run away. So they took Jesus to Caiaphas to begin his series of trials, that there's Peter following him from afar. He, he's following from a distance. He's there warming himself at the fires, the, the fires of the enemy that were there inside Caiaphas' courtyard. He, he, he's doing all these things, and a little girl comes up to him and says, you're one of them. He says, not me, and he's cursing and he's swearing. Listen, to remind you again. That I think that a lot of us here in this room, if not all of us, that we're saying, Lord, I want to be strong for you. I want to be courageous for you. But if you're following him from a distance, you're not staying close to him, and you are warming yourself at the fires of the world or of the enemy, you're going to find yourself being weak. And you're going to find yourself folding in those times of pressure that come against you. So here is Peter, the last time we saw him, he's weeping. He's weeping deeply in his soul. The doors of Caiaphas' house, as Jesus was beaten by the religious leaders, come swinging open, and it says that Jesus looked at Peter as he's cursing and he's swearing, denying the Lord. There's the sound of the rooster, and then it says that Peter ran away weeping. He thought he'd send the day of grace Away. He thought he had severed his relationship with the Lord forever because he had denied the Lord. Hey, you go tell the disciples and Peter, especially Peter, particularly Peter, that I will meet him in Galilee. And Peter needed to hear that good news that the Lord was alive and he wants to meet with you, Peter. The Lord is so good. And maybe there's somebody that's here that you feel like I've let you down, Lord. And I've denied you, Lord. I've ignored you. And the Lord brings his love and forgiveness and his restoration and grace to you this morning. What you are to do is you are to turn to him. You are to be committed to him and give yourself to him because he wants to use you just as he used Peter. Because you know in John chapter 21 that Jesus said to Peter, that Peter, that you feed my sheep. And now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened, verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if it comes to the governor's ear, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So the guards who were all frightened and uh, by the sight of the angel would go tell the religious leaders what had happened. Hey, we better tell them what had happened. We abandoned our post. There was this earthquake and there was this angel. He's mighty in countenance. He's sitting on top of the stone and, and the tomb is open and Jesus' body is not there and we ran away and all of this. And it's amazing to me 
the hardness of the hearts of the religious leaders. Rather than having fear and wonder and awe about what had happened, they bribed the soldiers and come up with the lie. They come up with this cover-up. Hey, the story is this, you guys, that you fell asleep and the disciples came at night to steal the body of Jesus. And if this comes to Pilate, because they could be in big trouble for abandoning their post, severe punishment would come to them. But don't worry about because we're going to pay Pilate off a large sum of money as well. We will appease him. So this report is common. Verse 15, many of the Jews who would believe this report, which was a lie, of course. There are many today. There are many that will not believe the resurrection, but they believe some lie, trying to disprove the resurrection, saying that maybe perhaps one theory is that his body was stolen. Now, as you consider this, it's really is foolishness. I mean, how would they know that it was the disciples that stole the body of Jesus when they were sleeping? That doesn't make sense. But think about the stolen body theory. It falls so short. Remember that they had the religious leaders that we read at the beginning here of our teaching that they wanted to make sure that that tomb was secure, make it as secure as you know how. They had confidence that it was. And they are saying now that those disciples who were so afraid, all scattered, they had been hiding, uh, that all of a sudden that they mustered up the courage to go to the tomb and find the right tomb, and then break the seal, and roll the stone away, and get Jesus out of the tomb without the guards seeing them, because they were asleep? That is so far-fetched, so much so that Matthew's account here really dismisses that possibility. As I mentioned last week, there are those who have said, well, everybody went to the wrong tomb, the wrong tomb. Uh, the women who were eyewitnesses of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus' body put into it, the stone that was rolled at the entrance of the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb. The soldiers went to the wrong tomb. The angel went to the wrong tomb. Everybody went to the wrong tomb. But the problem with that is if that was the case, why didn't the religious leaders say, all of you went to the wrong tomb? We're going to show you the right tomb, and you're going to see that his body is there. But I think one of the more popular theories among people that has come up is the swoon theory, that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out. He swooned on the cross. In other words, what they're saying is a man who was beaten so bad, Isaiah said that he was marred more than any other man, lost so much blood through the scourging and the crown of thorns pounding on his head, that the Gospels say that a spear was thrust into his chest cavity. Now came the blood and the water, which is an indication of a ruptured heart. That those soldiers who had crucified many victims didn't know when a man is dead. That he just swooned, he just passed out. And Joseph and Nicodemus prepare his body for burial, but he put him into a tomb, they closed the tomb, that somehow what they say is that Jesus, because he wasn't dead, he, he just revived is what he did. And he got up, he rolled away the heavy stone, got out of his grave clothes, he broke the seal and snuck by the guards without them seeing. You see, that is what has come along over the last 2,000 years. 
Those who have tried to, in their theories, dismiss the resurrection of Jesus, trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the thing. If they could, then Christianity is false. If they could disprove, without a doubt, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Christianity is false. There's no reason for us to be here this morning. And Paul writes about that very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You have no hope. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave. So it's the very foundation of our faith. His death on the cross. His resurrection. And Paul, when he begins that chapter in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians as I mentioned last week, he tells of all the witnesses. There was me, I saw him, Cephas, the disciples saw him. There was 500 people that saw him at one time. Some of them are alive. Go and ask them, and they'll tell you. Now, what do you do with all the witnesses? So there are those who come up with, well, we dismiss the resurrection because we believe that the disciples who claimed to see Jesus were so overwhelmed and overtaken with grief and sorrow that they hallucinated that they thought they saw Jesus. It was just maybe somebody who looked like Jesus or they hallucinated. Well, 500 people don't hallucinate at once, all right? So there's overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. No one has been able to dismiss all the witnesses that saw Jesus after his resurrection as he showed himself for 40 days until his ascension. And when you look at the facts, logically and objectively, objectively, which I did when I was young, I wanted to know, did Jesus really rise from the grave? Did he really die for my sins? Is the Bible true? Is Jesus really Lord? Or is he a liar? Or is he a lunatic? He just claimed to be the Son of God. And as you look at it, as you look at the Gospels in as you look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he did rise from the grave. So at that point with me, it was, what are you going to do with it, Jeff? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to submit to him and come to him? Or are you going to reject him? And I'm so grateful that the Lord, there's still that faith factor that, Lord, I need to come to you. Because I look at the evidence, and there are people all around this that they have questions, let them ask those questions because you have answers. Let them see, come and see the cross, what Jesus did for you and dying on the cross and crying out, it is finished. He made atonement for your sin and that he indeed rose from the grave. That tomb is empty. And that's what's unique about Christianity, that Jesus is the only one that conquered sin and death. The tomb is empty. Every other religious leader is in the, their grave, in their tomb. Only Jesus rose from the grave. So what are you going to do with that? Help them see. Help them see the cross, what Jesus did for them, and that the tomb is empty. And we celebrate, don't we? Because we now have God's promise of our salvation and forgiveness and everything that pertains to godliness. And then as we finish this morning, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even... 
to the end of the age. Amen. Go, therefore, tell them the good news, then make disciples. And as you're witnessing, going, teaching, discipling, baptizing, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. And he promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. The Gospel of Matthew. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that we've had the privilege to go through this incredible gospel over the last two years. And, and Lord, we end on a note that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave. And as we come to the communion table, as we're going to take of the elements, remembering what Jesus did for us, that those who are believers, you're welcome to come to the communion table. It isn't that you have to join the church. or If you're a believer, you're part of the body of Christ. And Jesus said that you come. Do this in remembrance of me. But if anyone's here, that you're not a believer, listen. Communion is for the believer. But we want to invite you to come into the family of God. If you're listening on perhaps on live, live stream or later on the radio, if you haven't come to Christ, he is your salvation. He conquered sin and death. He validated what he did on the cross when he said it is finished. He paid the price for your sins. And the Bible is very clear that we've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ, through his death and burial and resurrection. The invitation is for you to come because the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And the Bible says that quit going in the direction you're going, repent and turn to him because he desires to save you and forgive you and to be the Lord of your life. Turn to him. And that's where you're going to find salvation is through him, not through yourself or through your own goodness or through a church. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you, rising from the grave. If you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. You can do that right now. You can say, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. You rose again. You died for my sins. Me, a sinner, forgive me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and bringing me into the family of God for this new beginning, for saving me. I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if anybody prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. And as we take communion, come to your table, I pray that we would be one at awe and great joy right now, just marveling at what Jesus has done for us and allowing his body to be broken, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. May we continue just in worship. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. The usher is going to hand.